The New Deal included a variety of sometimes contradictory components that scholars still struggle to summarize. Often, historians agree with Isaiah Berlin, who said in 1955 that the New Deal was an impressive balancing act, able to reconcile individual liberty with the indispensable minimum of organizing and authority. But as David M. Kennedy notes, we can see the New Deal thus only when it is illumined by the stern lantern of history. Listening to Roosevelt's pledges in 1932, watching Congress pour reforms forth in the first 100 days of his administration in 1933, seeing the White House reply to challenges from the Supreme Court and political opponents in 1935, hearing Roosevelt campaign as the master of corporate interests in 1936. It would have been hard to discern in advance what seemed clear in the wake of the decade's passing. And indeed, there is little proof that Roosevelt or anyone else set out to create the carefully balanced system that the New Deal became. It evolved as the President and Congress responded to the judiciary, the electorate, and the changing world of the Depression. In this very short introduction to the Great Depression and the New Deal, I offer some basic ideas for a first understanding of this profound crisis and America's still influential legislative response. The world that broke down in 1929 broke down for reasons that astute observers had predicted in advance. The subsequent and nearly total failure to repair the damage owed to clear errors of judgment and action, and the prolonged misery that millions of people suffered could therefore have been lessened. Roosevelt and the Democratic Congresses of the New Deal era achieved a marked historical success by correcting those errors. They also committed errors of their own, and I do not slight them here. But in the 1936 election, the American voters overwhelmingly asked their leaders to forge forward with their experiments, mistakes aside, rather than return to the old and, to their minds, wholly discredited ways. This spirit of pragmatic experimentation became the basis for a generation's faith in the new American way, not just in the United States, but around the world. Now, if you doubt the story is quite so simple, and if you insist that these simple statements require qualifications and nuance, I shall have to concede the point. Beyond the confines of this brief book, I greatly respect the complexity of this era and the scholarship covering it. On the principle that you will go on from here if you wish fully to appreciate the period, the book concludes with recommendations for further reading but the body of the book sticks to these simpler lines of argument on the grounds that they serve as a useful introduction to the subject. The Great Depression began in the late 1920s, not necessarily with the Great Crash of 1929, but around that time, and afflicted a world tied together by specific kinds of debts both within and between countries. Chapter 1 outlines that world and America's peculiar place in it, explaining how it differed from the world before World War I and emphasizing the vulnerabilities of the system as outlined by contemporary critics, 
The web of debt binding that world together looked fragile to its keenest observers. Chapter 2 discusses the reactions to the crisis. First, of the Federal Reserve System, which serves the United States as a central bank, and second, of President Herbert Hoover and the Republican majority in Congress. Contrary to Democratic accusations, the Republicans did not do nothing, but Hoover's own principles prevented him from doing nearly enough, and the crisis worsened appallingly under his leadership. Chapter 3 shows that the greatness of the Great Depression owes to its widespread impact. It afflicted all sections of the American economy and much of the world. Perhaps most importantly, it encouraged middle-class American taxpayers and voters to identify themselves with the unfortunate many rather than the fortunate few.